0: This is the One Verse Podcast, where we liberate Scripture from religion, one verse at a time. Welcome to the One Verse Podcast. I am Jeremy Myers, your teacher for this podcast, as we work our way through Scripture one verse at a time. Trying to help you see Jesus and liberate you from the shackles of religion and fear and guilt and shame and a whole bunch of other things. Maybe even some misconceptions about prayer. That's what we're talking about in today's podcast episode as we continue to look at the prayer of Jonah in Jonah chapter 2. We're looking at two verses today rather than just one verse, despite the name of the podcast. Uh, We're looking at Jonah 2 verses 5 and 6. We're going to see, continue to see Jonah's prayer is not a model prayer. And uh, we're going to also talk a little bit about prayer itself. Now, you're a regular listener to the podcast, sorry I missed last week's episode. Uh, that likely will be happening from time to time. So many irons in the fire right now. Uh, I'm writing multiple books. I'm trying to prepare several courses for the discipleship area of the website, uh, along with blog, blog posts and podcasts. It's just hard for me to keep on top of everything. In fact, I did a quick count last week, and I'm currently—I I kid you not—currently working on over 50 books. Yes, five zero. I literally—I I made a list, and I have folders all over my desk and in my briefcase, and and I—I—I I, add—I literally write sections of all of these books every month. Not every day, not even every week, but every month I do. Now I'm actively working on only five or six of them, meaning I'm writing. You know, maybe uh, a thousand words in each one, five or six books every single week. Uh, Anyway, it's a lot of books. I'm trying to keep track of it all. I I don't know if you read more than one book at a time, but imagine trying to write five or six at one time. It it gets a lot. So, And then, of course, there's there's my online courses. I added uh, a new lesson to the Gospel Dictionary course last week. I'm hoping to add a new one this coming week. Um, and uh, try to do that, keep that pace going forward, because I know some of you are taking that course, and I want to keep giving you new information. And on top of this all, did you know this is not my, my uh, normal job? <laughs> I have a full-time job, I'm married, I have children. So anyway, all this is to say, every once in a while, I might miss a podcast episode like I did last week, and that's just because I've got so much going on, uh, which is also to say I sort of need your help. As I start publishing more of my books in the future, I would love to sort of put together a team of, of you who can help me read them, find some typos, and maybe even get the word out about these books when they come out. Now, if that's something that is, uh, you, you find interesting, I'll, I'll tell you more information about it in the future. But the first step to make sure you do is to join my online discipleship group. Just go to redeeminggod.com join. Pick a, a level there to join, either the grace, which is the free one, or the faith, hope, and love, which are the paid ones. And then when I'm ready to invite people to join my sort of book launch team, my, my advanced reader team for, for getting my books out, that, that, that I'm going to choose them. I'm going to alert those who are part of my discipleship group, and they, they will be the ones who, who can join me there. So anyway, uh, learn more. Go to redeeminggod.com join. All right, now let's uh, turn to our study of the book of Jonah. We're looking at verses 5 and 6 today. Now, I don't know if you remember from previous podcast episodes, but I told you that the prayer of Jonah forms a chiasm, which is a, it's sort of a, a, a biblical. Well, you find it in other forms of literature as well, but it's a, a strange sort of outline where the main point of the outline is in the middle, is in the center, or, or somewhere near the center, and the outline works its way in, to the central point, and then once it reaches there, it works its way back out. So verse 4 was the central point of this chiasm, which we looked at last time, uh, last episode, in episode 77. And uh, so now we're working our way back out, and that's sort of why I'm able to cover two verses today, because a lot of what we see in Jonah 2, verses 5 and 6, is parallel or similar, or it's a repetition of what we learned in verses 2 and 3. All right, so I'm going to be able to go through these verses fairly fast, I hope, and then well, I'll say a few words about prayer at the end of today's podcast episode. So in verse uh, 5, Jonah continues to talk about the water, uh, his experience of drowning, and you can sort of, as you read this, he, you see that he's talking about the waters surrounding him and threatening his soul, and the deep, he talks about the deep closing around me, all right? And it sort of has this overtone or this feeling of this malevolent force threatening his life, dragging him down, choking the life out of him. Seaweed is even sort of actively, you can sort of view it as these tentacles reaching up from the, the ocean floor, the sea floor, and wrapping around him and dragging him down. All right, and 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 I mentioned in verse three and in verse two as well, elsewhere, that uh that is what Jonah views this water as. He uses this word yom for sea, which is the Hebrew word for sea. And of course, there was this Canaanite deity named Yam, who was the chaos god, this underwater chaos god. And so uh, there's a lot of that symbolism here. Uh, And then he uses this word uh, tahom for deep. If you listen to my podcast episodes on Genesis, you might remember from Genesis 1-2 that the word deep there is this word tahom. And uh, that also symbolized rebellion, disorder, chaos, darkness, right? It was, a, it was a, a, an ancient, mysterious, menacing word. It was an evil word. That was to home. Uh, for, for many people back then, the deep or to home was the source of, uh, of chaos. It's the dwelling place of, of evil monsters, right? Nothing good comes from the deep. It was a disturbing, threatening, evil, ominous place. Anyway, go, go listen to my podcast on Genesis 1, verse 2, to learn more about To Home. Anyway, it's interesting. Oh, and then the seaweed, too. You can sort of uh, sort of see, and I mentioned it, just the way Jonah describes a seaweed. It's like a, the, the arms of an octopus or something, going up, wrapping around his neck, trying to choke the breath, the life out of him, dragging him down into the deep, right into the depths of the water. All right, And it's interesting, too, as well, in, in light of all of this malevolence forces here, evil chaos. Uh, Jonah mentions uh, this word soul. At least that's the way it's translated in the New King James. This is the Hebrew, Hebrew word nefesh. And I don't know if you remember, we looked at this word as well in Genesis 1, 20 through 24, where um, even even animals have nefesh. So I, I personally do not like the translation of, of nefesh as soul. I think a better translation would be life. Because animals have life and humans have life, um, and it's sort of related to our breath. Which is why Jonah says here, or prays here, that the sea, the water, the deep, to home, uh, the abyss, yam, the seaweed, it was trying to take away his nefesh, his life, his breath, Right, and uh, and dragging him down. Nefesh is not what separates us from the animals, by the way, it's our spirit. Uh, but that also is a, is a separate study. So, uh, that's verse 5. Verse six uh, is parallel to verse two. All right, so it's working our way back out of the the chiasm. Uh, verse seven and eight, by the way, and nine are a uh, separate points. They're sort of additional points tacked on to the end of the prayer. So that we'll we'll, we'll t- discuss those in future podcast episodes. But anyway, uh, verse six is parallel to verse two, and again, it's it's a summary here. It sort of goes back to similar ideas there. The the deep waters of Sheol. And uh, so Sheol, remember, is the pit, the grave. And here, Jonah, in verse 6, Jonah describes it as the base of the mountains. Now, I don't know if you remember, but I I, I said earlier that if, in a previous podcast episode, that if Jonah drowned, that would have been an indication to him that he had been abandoned, rejected, forsaken by God. And so the idea of the base of the mountains is another way that we see Jonah's fear of rejection here. And the way we see this, or how we know we see this, and as you're reading through Scripture, note that very often when they talk about mountains or worshiping God, or even worshiping false idols, they very often, the Scriptures very often, at least people in Jonah's day, and even Moses and David and, you know, all the prophets, they talk about going up to Mount Zion, up unto the top of the mountain. Or if the or when they are condemning the Israelites for worshiping false gods, they say they are going to the high places, all right, to to worship false gods. Um, and David prays, "I look to the mountains. Where does my help from come?" Well, he 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 doesn't think God. Well, he sort of does think God dwells up there. I mean, not literally, but but they often looked to mountaintops for this is where their temples and shrines and and the sacrifices and altars would be placed. All right, so um, you even think of the Greek pantheon lived up on Mount Olympus. They, they thought all the gods lived up there. So anyway, this is the way people viewed back then. At the top of the mountains are the gods. And so when Jonah here says that he's going to the base of the mountains, well, again, he's sort of describing his position as he's, 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 he's going as far away from God as possible. And in this case, sort of interesting, initially he tried to get far away from God. God says, go to Nineveh. Jonah uh, goes to Tarshish, the opposite direction. But here he really is. He's sinking, and he feels like God is rejecting him, despising him, pushing him, shoving him away, forsaking him. And he indicates that here by talking about going to the base of the mountains. And then he says that the earth barred him in. Uh, Again, just sort of a symbol here of prison, with the prison bars. He feels like if he gets stuck down here, he's going to be here forever in the grave, in pit, in the pit, in Sheol, the place of the dead, right? Uh, The the prison of the underworld from which no person ever returned. Uh, And uh, so, you know, this this is just the continuing the symbolism here, the imagery that Jonah's been saying all along through this prayer. All right, now... Everything changes, though, in the second half of verse 6. Jonah says God caused him to ascend alive out of the pit. Uh, So here we sort of get this first glimpse of resurrection a little bit in, um, in Jonah's prayer. By the way, I was reading this past week. J. Vernon McGee, who who taught through the Bible, I don't know if you listen to that on the radio or maybe have his commentary sections, and and J. Vernon McGee believes that Jonah actually did die in the belly of the fish and then actually was resurrected three days later when the fish vomited him up on, on dry land. So anyway, you can read more about that in, in J. Vernon McGee's commentary if um, if you're interested in that. And, um, it's so, so J. Vernon McGee believes here, verse six is where God began or, or resurrected him, uh, and then spewed him out of the fish's mouth. So, uh, but, but anyway, I'm, I don't, I'm not sure I agree with that. I see what he's arguing and it's possible, but anyway, here God is, is, is causing Jonah to ascend alive out of the pit. Nobody ever comes back from the pit. So I don't care if Jonah is referring here to actually physically dying, or if Jonah knows that once you get swallowed by a fish, you're not coming back from that, all right? Uh, Either way, Jonah believes he's dead, and now God is rescuing Jonah from the pit, all right? And, and, And some of this, as we see throughout this prayer, some of this is because it seems that Jonah believes, you know what, I'm a pretty righteous guy. Yeah, I've messed up a little bit. Yeah, I disobeyed God. But God loves me. God needs me, as we're going to see. You know, God wants me to go to Nineveh still. There's nobody else on earth who can do it but me. Jonah's got a pretty high view of himself. And so although he's saying, God rescued me from the pit, the mind frame behind Jonah's words here is that Jonah thinks he deserves to be rescued. That God answered him because he prayed. That's the sort of view we get here. Jonah probably would have died. This is Jonah's thinking. I probably would have died, but I prayed and so God answered. All right. Uh, He feels that his life has been rescued, right? From the pit of decay, from the seaweed chains, from those earthen prison bars, all of that. uh, Because Jonah prayed and God answered. Yes, God answered, but uh, you know it was Jonah's prayer. Jonah sort of gives himself a little pat on the back. I prayed, and, and God answered. God rescued me because I prayed, and that that brings us full circle, really, back to the to verse two, and where Jonah begins begins his prayer, and then uh, it, we 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 see some new ideas in verses seven, eight, and nine, which which we'll begin to look at next week. Lots of fantastic things in those verses, so make sure you join us now. With all of that in mind, I just want to close out today's podcast episode with a, li- a few comments on prayer. I've been talking a lot about prayer in this episode, just Jonah's prayer, especially here at the end. Uh, but uh, even in, in previous podcast episodes, just a lot of things about what Jonah prayed. I've been critical of his prayer. You know, and probably you've gotten some ideas on what to pray and how not to pray and how I don't think that Jonah's prayer is a very good prayer to base your prayers off of. And I imagine that as I've gone through some of this, maybe you have some, some questions have been raised in your own mind about prayer. I would say that uh, you can learn a lot of things about prayer from Jonah's prayer. And maybe the main thing is how not to pray. Uh, we see this by, it's it's, it's quite humorous, really. Uh, to, to contrast Jonah's prayer here in Jonah chapter two with the prayers of the sailors in Jonah chapter one. I think the contrast is intentional. The, the sailors pray in three different occasions in Jonah chapter one. Now, the first the first time they pray uh, in verses five and six are, are to false gods, their own gods. Uh, that's because at this point, they don't know any different. They just know they're about to die, and they're doing everything they can. All right? But then when they finally discover that it is Yahweh, Jonah's God, who sent the storm, you know, they, they they first ask forgiveness to Yahweh for throwing Jonah overboard, and then after the storm is calmed, they make promises to worship God and sacrifice to him, and they make vows to him. So so, notice all the way through this, these sailors, they know next to nothing about Yahweh. All they really know is the faulty and misleading information that Jonah has given them. Remember, we talked about that in Jonah 1. He teaches them some pretty bad theology. But nevertheless, they are more righteous than Jonah. Because even with the little bit they know about Jonah's God, and most of it's actually false, they still cry out to him and pray to him and offer to worship him and and, and offer sacrifices to him, and they fear him, and they even seek forgiveness for things uh, that they are afraid of, uh, they might do to offend him. All right, Jonah, notice, still at this point through Jonah chapter 2, has not done any of this. He claims to fear God there in Jonah chapter 1. But he doesn't. He's disobeying God. He has done nothing ab- about asking God for forgiveness. There's been no word of repentance or confession. And the only times Jonah indicates about making sacrifices or worshiping God in his temple, it's indicating the heavenly temple. Jonah doesn't want to go to Jerusalem, worship God there. Jonah wants to die and and uh, go worship God in, in the heavenly temple. So Jonah still doesn't even want to obey God. No vows here to to uh, obey him the way the sailors are. So there's just all of this, this this mindset or attitude in Jonah's prayer. It's a self-righteous, self-centered, selfish attitude we see in Jonah's prayer. Nevertheless, his prayer is, on the surface, it's quite beautiful. He, he, he makes almost every line in this prayer— has a parallel line from the Psalms. He's quoting Psalms. He's quoting Scripture left and right. He is praying the Scriptures. He uses all this lofty language, beautiful imagery. It's it's a wonderfully constructed prayer with this poetic chiasm and the the parallelism all the way through. Truly, his prayer is a work of art. But his, his prayer is a sham. And from the very first words of his prayer, Jonah utters a lie, and then the rest of his prayer follows from there. He exalts himself, he praises his own spirituality, right? At the same time, we'll see this more in verse 7, he judges the sailors, condemns them for their ignorance. Every time throughout the prayer, just when we think he's going to confess and repent and tell God he's sorry, and if you help me out of here, I will obey you, something like that, right? (laughs) Instead, Jonah only focuses on himself. Praise about what he has done, what he has said, what happened to him, what how he will worship God in the holy temple. The prayer of Jonah is so blatantly contrasted with the prayer of the sailors, because we are supposed to learn something about prayer from these two different sets of prayers. By the way, we're going to see the prayer of the Ninevites as well later in the chapter, so keep your ears tuned for that. But the most interesting thing in all of this is that God doesn't seem to care much about proper wording, flowery language, uh, biblical references, you know, because the prayer of the sailors is, uh, uh, you know, the way the, 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 the the story unfolds. The prayer of the sailors is held up as a good example, even though they have a horrible theology about God. They don't make any references to Scripture. They don't really know half of what they're talking about, and yet Jonah, who has all the Bible knowledge, all the theology, numerous biblical allusions, the the, the poetic imagery, well, God's not impressed with his prayer. So it really makes you and I think, hmm, what does God think? Of our prayers. Look, I I do encourage you to learn how to pray from Scripture, but don't learn how to pray from Jonah's prayer here. Learn how to pray from from Jesus. Jesus has some wonderful prayers. Paul has some wonderful prayers in Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, other places. Uh, David. The book of Psalms is filled with wonderful prayers. Moses has some good prayers. Abraham, Daniel, all all these these true saints in history who had deep and abiding relationships with God. I, I want you to notice one thing that is common to all of their prayers. And here it is. When these great saints talked to God, when they prayed, they spoke to God as if they were talking to a friend, right? To a companion, someone they knew well. They're just, they're just talking to somebody who's sitting right next to them. Notice that as you look at the, the, the great prayers of Scripture. Yeah, some of it's poetic, some of it's beautiful. Sometimes there's parallelism. Often there's biblical allusions and references, all of that, sure, but sometimes not. The one thing they all have in common is that they are talking to God as they would talk to any friend. Jonah, on the other hand, seems to think, right, that the the, the he has to pray in a certain way with a certain language and use fancy, you know, and, and talk about himself. And he sort of seems to think that the the primary reason God answers his prayer here in verse six is because he prayed. <laughs> Right, And sometimes I think we Christians get the same idea. We think that if we pray a certain way, God is almost obligated to respond to us. Sometimes we get the idea that, that prayer is, you know, James says, that prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And we sort, sometimes think that it's the prayer itself, or maybe our own righteousness, that is powerful and effective. And that's not true at all. I, I, that's sort of the, what what, J- what Jonah is showing here. But, but really, what makes prayer effective It's not us. It's not our own righteousness. It's not the prayer itself. What what makes prayer work is not us, but God. Right? It's God who hears our prayers and responds. Yes, prayer works, but it's not the prayer itself that works. It's God that works in response to our prayers. Prayer never does anything by itself. It's always God who does the work. It's God who answers prayer. It's God who is powerful. It's God who provides and protects. Right? So so Jonah, in this prayer, he's focusing on himself and what he said and what he has done and what he will do. He sort of gives some, and then then God raised me from the pit here, verse 6. But he doesn't focus on what God wants or what God has asked him to do. Never once confesses or repents. And so... um, and he doesn't really talk to God here as a person would talk to a friend. Look, so so we may be, I don't know, confused, discouraged, maybe even a little disgusted by Jonah's prayer here. But I would invite you, maybe I'm speaking to myself here, let's not be too quick to judge Jonah's prayer. I I, I wouldn't be too surprised if God was recording all of my own prayers on some book in heaven. And I got up to heaven, and I got to look at my book of prayers. I imagine quite a few of them would sound an awful lot like Jonah's prayer here. I'm trying to impress God with my language, and maybe I'm not being very honest with him about what's going on in my heart, or my mind, or my life, and instead I'm just boasting him on me, 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 and what I want, and what I want to do, and what my problems are. I, I I'm... I, I'm preaching to myself here, and, you know, I invite you as well. When we pray, we shouldn't focus on ourselves so much, on our goals, on our needs. Instead, on God. Focus on God, you know, and other people. What He wants for our lives and how He wants us to reach and love and serve others. Especially in our prayers. Don't focus on praising ourselves, talking about how great we are and why God should do something for us because we're so great, how holy we are, right? Instead, focus on praising God and what He has done. And especially, you know, don't don't make promises to God as a way to get Him to do what you want. right, right? God, God's not in the bartering business. Well, if you do this for me, God, I'll do something for you, or "I'll do this for you, God, if you then come through for me, right? So look, uh, there's so much in this prayer. Uh, most of it negative, but there's so much of uh, in our own prayers, I'm sure, that are negative as well. So we need to be careful that we don't judge Jonah too harshly. R- remember, with the same measure we judge others, we also will be judged. Jesus said that in Matthew 7, two. So um, be very careful about—I want to be very careful about being too harsh on Jonah here. Uh, there's so much on prayer we can learn, though. Yes, we can learn— from Jonah's prayer, though. And I think that's one of the reasons it's written here, to watch our own prayers, learn how not to pray. And also, we can look at some of the other prayers in Scripture so that we can learn how to pray. And also, by the way, I don't want you to get the impression that you shouldn't ever pray for yourself. Honestly, I sort of think that very often in your prayers, you should begin with yourself. <laughs> Maybe you're super confused here now. I I, uh, I view prayer, I often view our prayers as sort of a, a target or concentric circles. Uh, in which we pray for people's relationships with God, and I view the center as our relationship, my personal relationship with God. I'm not going to be very useful to the world, or to my family, or to the people I interact with, you know, right, those outer rings of the circles, unless my relationship with God is where it should be. So that's the interesting thing about Jonah's prayer, too. He does focus on himself a lot, but he's focusing on himself in all the wrong areas. We're focusing on our relationship with God. If we're having a conversation with God as a man speaks to a friend, well, God's going to be pointing out sin and areas of our life he wants us to fix, and we're going to be confessing and repenting of those and, and being have, just having an honest conversation with God about what is going on in our life. So we do focus on ourselves first, in a sense. And then after that, we can move out and talk to God about... Our spouses or our children or our parents or our friends or our neighbors, right? Our co-workers. What's going on in our city, in our state, uh, in our country with our, our president and our politicians? What's going on around the world? What's going on in other countries, right? As we work our way out in concentric circles and talking to God, getting his input, asking him how we can get involved. Look, ah, I probably raised a lot more questions about prayer than answered, but I hope that a little bit of what I've said has made sense. And by the way, remember at the beginning of this podcast episode, I mentioned I'm writing 50 books and focusing really only on five or six right now. One of those five or six that I'm focusing on, in fact, it's the very next book that I want to get out, hopefully by the end of the summer, is a book on prayer. It's going to be a relatively short book, it will only be available as an ebook on Amazon. So uh, it's probably going to be about 100 pages or so. Uh, But in it, I'm going to strive, I'm going to try to give some real practical advice about prayer. How to pray, what to pray for, how to receive answers to your prayers. And, uh, you know, I'll tell you a lot about this book in the future, especially if you're part of my redeeminggod.com discipleship group. Um, But uh, if you want to sort of get an advanced copy of that book, Maybe provide me some suggestions, advice, help me look for some typos maybe. And then also once the book comes out, sort of tell people about it. Then uh, first of all, make sure you are part of the redeeminggod.com discipleship group. Go to redeeminggod.com slash join to, to pick a group and, and uh, sign up. Uh, because I am going to ask them to be part of this advanced reader team. Nobody else, just the people in my discipleship group. So if that's something you want to do, well, you're going to have to uh, to, to join one of the groups there. There's the free one, Grace. Uh, but if you want the, uh, the, the full experience, be able to take all of the courses that are available now and in the future, as well as get additional free ebooks in the future, you'll want to pick one of the three paid levels. Uh, those are the faith, hope and love levels. And uh, they have different prices. You can pay monthly, annually, and uh, there's another annual one as well. But y- all the details can be found at redeeminggod.com join. By the way, I don't charge for those because I'm trying to get rich or anything. Uh, I charge because it's very expensive to run this podcast and the blog and write my books. And there's millions of people around the world. I'm not exaggerating. Who access my blog and website and podcast every year. And the pod, the, the asking people to partner with me helps cover those expenses. So that's why there is the paid levels so that you can partner with me and help this podcast continue to reach people around the world and help my blog and my books continue to reach people around the world. Just this past week, I had a pastor from Africa who wanted to take the courses, couldn't afford it. And uh, so, yeah, I let him take it for free, join for free, because I wanted him to take the courses and teach this stuff to uh, the people in Africa. So if you are a paying member of the Faith, Hope, or Love level, you are helping make that happen. Thank you very much. Anyway, I hope you uh, learned something about prayer today from Jonah chapter 2. Thank you so much for joining me. Next week we'll be looking at verse 7, in which we see... A little bit more of Jonah's attitude come out as he compares himself with the sailors that were left up on that boat. Thank you for joining me today. We'll see you next time as we look at Jonah 2 7.